really glad to be here today. Um, actually, I love doing this, love uh, filling in every once in a while. Uh, my name is Stephen Pittman. I'm an elder here at the Vine. Clearly, it does not mean that I can grow a beard or that I have any wisdom and age, but uh, I, I'm glad to be here. Trev's taking the weekend off, uh, which I think he needs every once in a while, so um, happy for him to do that. Uh, I guess if you have kids, I don't know if somebody said that already, but you can send your kids downstairs. Um, so I... I get kind of excited sometimes when I do this, and um, sometimes I, I get so excited that in the middle of talking, I'll use like an analogy, something that just, man, that would fit, and I roll with it. And I did that last time, and I greatly exposed, I know nothing about NFL football, uh, sorry, the NFL, uh, or, or quarterbacks or anything like that. I, I made some comment about how a guy was interviewed, and I commented on the fact that he had won Super Bowls, and then a bunch of guys in the back start shaking their heads. It's like, wow, that's bad. Um, so I'm not going to do that today. I figured I would give an example of something that I know a lot better about. Um, so Taylor Swift uh, was interviewed. Uh, you think I'm kidding, but I'm serious. I, I don't listen really to her music that much, but she really was. She, was, she uh, was on TV probably four or five years ago. I can't remember what had happened. Uh, it was an awards ceremony or something, and the announcers were talking about how phenomenal it was. She was maybe up for a Grammy or something. I can't remember. But they're talking about how phenomenal it was that when she was still, you know, household name yet, but she was still kind of working her way up at these award ceremonies, she would go around and shake everybody's hand. Hey, I'm Taylor Swift. If you want, I want you to know I've got this new album coming out and all this stuff. She marketed herself really, really well. And they were just commenting on how, uh, you know, how awesome that is and look where she's come and yada, yada, yada. So that's, sure, uh, that's great. So about five months ago, an article popped up on Forbes.com. And I read a lot of articles, just kind of interested in what's going on and this article popped up that was rule, not rules, but uh, suggestions for marketing. And it was small businesses or managers and the things you can learn from Taylor Swift. It's like, wow, that's incredible. Man, I, I know nothing about business and I don't plan on really knowing anything about business, but might as well figure, you know, learn something. So I read it and it was interesting because it kind of correlated to what I've been processing. And, and Trev comments on this a lot, that really what he teaches on is really just stuff that's going on in his own heart. And, and I really dealt with this idea of, of self-promotion. And sure, she's a business, right? I mean, who she is and everything, I mean, that's fine. She's a business. Uh, but what does that look like for me? Like, what, how does self-promotion kind of fit into my life? And I, I wrestled with that over spring break. Uh, I'm in medical school, and there's a group of us that went to El Salvador. And, you know, we, we were doing clinics in, in rural El Salvador. And day after day, you just start to see these kids uh, suffering from things that I don't have to suffer from. I mean, sitting there scratching themselves with scabies or whatever, and really they have no help, and they have uh, no one to do anything for them for miles, you know, unless we come in town. And um, it just really got me thinking, like, man, why my heart breaks for these kids in this moment? Like, why do my heart, why does my heart not break for these kids random week when I'm back in the United States? And, and so I wrestled with that, and I just started thinking, like, man, because I don't, I don't, I don't think about this because I'm way too busy promoting myself. If I'm honest, like, I think about me all the time. Um, and uh, I'm just being honest. And, and so it's like the, the idea of my heart breaking on a random week for, for kids in other countries, like, it just doesn't happen a lot. Uh, and so I, I figured today uh, we'd talk about one of my favorite books in the Bible, uh, Philemon. Uh, depending on what county you're from, it might be Philemon uh, or whatever. But today it's going to be Philemon. And um, it's, the fir- it's a book right before Hebrews. So if you have your Bible, grab it. We're going to go there. We're just going to talk today about what the gospel says, what the Bible says about kind of advocacy um, regarding us and other people. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat 
next to you. If, if you don't have it, keep that one. Uh, we care passionately about being a church that's in the word, and so we never really throw scripture up on the screen. Just uh, let's dive into the word. So if, if that's yours, take a pen, write in it, do whatever. Um, but here we go. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we're going to start in verse 1 of Philemon. It's a really small book, so you might miss it, so it might take you a minute to get there. Father God, thank you for your word. Um, God, thanks that we get to just meet here and talk about who you are. Um, God, talk about what we get to have in a relationship with you. And uh, God, how awesome for you today um, that you let us do this and that you provided this um, opportunity for us. God, I pray that as we read through these words that um, the true message of the Bible, the true story of your goodness to, to us, toward us, would be known. We do this every week. Right now, just pray to the Lord and just ask him to open your heart, that he would teach you something, that he would um, get rid of whatever maybe baggage or just stuff you're bringing in today that you might just uh, experience him. Pray for somebody around you. You might not even know him, but just pray the same thing for them. All right, so uh, Treb spent uh, about six months going through Acts, so I figured we'd bust out a book in one day, right? Feel good? Productive? Uh, so this is a long, it's, it's, it's 25 verses. We're going to read through the whole thing, and then I'm going to talk about a few verses and then uh, hit some major points and, and get out of here. So uh, this is a letter from Paul uh, to Philemon, okay? So when we say Philemon, we say Paul, like that's what's going on here. So uh, Philemon, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Afi, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet prefer I appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. But I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him back, who's my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent. So any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated, you from, separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge that to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. One more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow soldier in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit whole letter 
right? That's my favorite one. We just bust it out, feel really productive. Um, I, I love this book. I love, I mean, we can't forget this is a letter, right? It's a letter from one man to another man. Um, and kind of just summarize really what's going on. So Paul, right, in Chains for the Gospel, the, really the only correlation that we have to what we're doing in Acts, we're pausing from Acts today, is the fact that Paul's in this. So, but Paul, we've, we've, we know his story, right? He came to know Jesus, and now he's doing ministry, right? Well, further along in Acts, we, we see Paul in prison for the gospel, right? But he continues to share. And on that kind of uh, trajectory, at some point, he meets this guy Onesimus. Now, Onesimus has his own story, okay? Onesimus was a slave to a guy named Philemon in Colossae, okay? So at some point, Onesimus decides, well, you know, I might as well run away, get some more freedom. So he bails, he runs away. He might have stolen something, we don't really know, but he bails and he runs, and it's kind of on this journey of self-discovery. Somehow meets Paul, okay? And, and in this moment, when he meets Paul, of course, Paul shares the gospel, uh, shares the message of Jesus with Onesimus, and Onesimus believes. He's a believer. We see that there is this incredible transformation in the life of Onesimus. He is different, and Paul comments on that multiple times to this. He's like, he, he was useless, and he's not useful, right? He became my son while I was in the chains. Like, Onesimus is a different person. At some point in that incredible transformation, Onesimus thinks, man, maybe I should, maybe I should go back. Maybe I should be reconciled to my master. And that's probably likely what spurred this entire letter. Onesimus has this deep desire as a new believer in Jesus uh, to be reconciled to Philemon. And so he decides, I'm going to go back. Realizing he has nothing really to say upon his return, uh, Paul writes this letter on his behalf. And so Paul uh, pens this letter to Philemon, and, and Onesimus is likely marching back with this letter, you know, uh, speechless, but really able to hand this to Philemon when he, when he sees him. Um, and that's it. Paul advocates for, Philemon, for, for Onesimus, says Philemon, I just, I, I'm not going to command you, but I encourage you, will you accept, accept him back? Not only just accept him back as a slave, but accept him back more than as his brother. Um, so we're going to just kind of march through a couple of these verses and then really hit on what I think uh, is the biggest part of this. So in verse 1, Paul does this, and I love it. Um, he, he always intros in, in a very similar way, but he says, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our bro- brother, to Philemon. Verse 3, grace and peace to you from the Lord, uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this because uh, he does this in other, in other letters, but he's saying, look, hey, you know, Onesimus is standing there with this letter, right? Giving it to Philemon, hoping that he would accept him. And Paul intros, hey, it's Paul uh, writing this letter to you. Hey, I just want to remind you right off the bat, you have received grace upon grace upon grace from our Lord Jesus Christ. Just a, just a reminder. Uh, but not only that, he says grace and peace to you. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I love about that is he's just reminding Philemon, hey, like with the grace that you've been shown in Jesus, like Jesus' pursuit of you results in peace. It's peace in your relationship with God, like you are no longer under condemnation. There's nothing left to be paid, Philemon, for your life because you have been bought by Jesus. So I just want to remind you, hey, you've received grace, and not only that, but now you have peace in your relationship with God. Awesome. I mean, you can preach a whole sermon on verse 3. I love it. So, verse 4. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. The Apostle Paul. So, remember, Onesimus is standing there with his letter. Philemon's likely reading it. Wow, the Apostle Paul thanks God for me? 
Kind of interesting, right? And Paul's saying, look, I've heard about your faith. I've heard about what's going on in your church. Uh, I just, I wake up on random days and I just praise God for you. Think about it. Like, what, what if Treb, randomly on Tuesday morning, you know, woke up and just because of, because of your walk with Jesus, just couldn't help but praise the Lord that you were part of this church? Pretty phenomenal. Like, we we're starting to see a picture of the true character of this guy, Philemon, right? It might bother us. Okay, well, wait, wait, wait. How, how could Paul be praising this guy and thanking God for this guy when he owns a slave? Like, that's really probably at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. And, and so we got to deal with that. And I think the first thing we need to do is separate our perceptions, our perception of slavery today as being the exact same as, as slavery 2,000 years ago in Greece. I mean, it's likely that there were abusive situations, right? I mean, it's likely that people were, were enslaved against really uh, any just cause. Um, but that's not really what we see going on here. Uh, what we see going on here is... Uh, theologians tend to think it's more likely that Philemon gave Onesimus so much freedom, right? He had such a good situation that he just kind of ran with it and, and escaped really probably maybe a situation that he more deserved because of some financial situation maybe for him or his family where this is maybe the best situation for him. Um, in addition to that, we see uh, Onesimus having a desire to return to Philemon, okay? So that, that makes us think, well, this... This is probably actually a decently healthy relationship. More than that, Paul is appealing to Philemon on behalf of Paul's encouraging this. Uh, and, and lastly, uh, we got to remind ourselves that Scripture's full of simple people. We don't read the Bible and, and take everything we read and every person and be like, well, I guess they're my example. March on. No, it's, it's not. The, the Bible, one thing I love about Scripture is we read and we see all the crap in everyone's lives, right? And so that's what we see here. Paul is appealing to a sinful man, right? So, hey, don't, don't accept him back as a slave. Accept him back more than a slave would do. Okay, so, Joe, if you're, if you're wrestling with that, get that out of your mind. Like, it's, it's dealing with it. Uh, but this situation is probably a little bit different, okay? Nevertheless, Paul says, I thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because, verse 5, I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. And I, I like the New American Standard Version. A little bit. I think it's a little closer to what the original text was. It says, um, I thank uh, God because I hear of your love and faith in the Lord Jesus and for all the holy people and for the faith and for the believers. And it's, there's kind of this correlation of faith in Jesus and love for people. Uh, instead of, you know, love for people and just kind of this overall mass, it's kind of this movement. And, and Paul's really just pointing out what I see in you is as you've experienced this grace and peace, there is a deep trust. All that faith is a deep trust in the person of Jesus, which overflows in love for the church around you. Like, that's what Paul hears about Philemon, and that's what Philemon is experiencing in his relationship with Jesus. And so it's words gotten back to Paul. And he's like, man, that's phenomenal. And that's really the picture of Christianity. That's what we see. And a lot of times we, we march into this place and think, man, as long, if I could just love people or sacrifice for people a little bit more this week, maybe God will, will overlook what I did last night or, or maybe, you know, just the underlying guilt that I have in my life. Like, I'm, I'm here today to clean, clean up and maybe hoping that things will be all right. And that's just not how it works. Scripture is very clear. We have nothing that we can offer to the Lord to merit acceptance. Instead, he offers us grace in the relationship with Jesus. Uh, and through that, there's a reflection of that toward other people. And so Philemon is experiencing this deep gospel um, and then pursuing the, the people around him. Moving on. So I pray, verse 6, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the 
the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Literally, he's saying, he's like, look, I'm about to, you know, appeal to you for something. He probably knew, because Onesimus was probably standing there in his letter, right? But he's saying, I'm about to ask you something, and I'm, I'm just saying that if you choose to be obedient, it's going to deepen your understanding of every good thing that comes in the name of Jesus. Like, as you walk in obedience with this, Philemon, like, you're going to more deeply experience what Jesus has done for you as you reflect him to, uh, to Onesimus. Moving on, verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now has become useful both to you and to me. So Paul's saying, look, I, I have been given this kind of authority in ministry, right? And he later says, you owe me your very life. Like, it's pretty clear that Philemon probably became a believer because of the ministry of Paul. So Paul's saying, look, I really, like, I could just say, hey, here he is, accept him. Like, I really command you to do that. But instead, I appeal to you on the basis of love. I want this to be voluntary. My son Onesimus became a believer when he met me. Verse 12, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not be forced to be voluntary. Uh, perhaps he was separated you from a little while. You might have him back from forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Again, I, I don't want to force this. Like, I want you to have this decision. I want you to choose to walk in obedience um, in this. And don't, don't just show him mercy. When, he, when he's standing before you, but offer him grace. Accept him not only as a slave, but also as a brother. Okay, and we're going to kind of hunger down in this, these next few verses. So if you, you haven't listened to anything I've said so far, like this is, this is it, this is all that matters. Um, so here we go. Verse 17, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hands. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you and would refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. I love verse 22. Hey, by the way, if you don't, I'm coming in like a week, so get a guest room ready for me. Like, he's not giving him much of an option here, right? So, and I, he's, he's encouraging him, and it's kind of this hard appeal, and then, hey, I'm coming in like a week. So um, I tend, you know, we don't really know what happened here. I uh, tend to believe that if, if Philemon let this letter kind of pass around, he probably responded positively, right? But verse 17, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge that to me. Does this sound familiar? Like, it should sound very familiar. This is, this is the gospel. This is exactly what we experience in our relationship with Jesus. Like, we are, we are Onesimus. Like, that's, it's, it's clear. Like, I experience uh, this deep need to be advocated for, like Onesimus is. And Paul is here advocating for Onesimus to Philemon, right? We experience an advocate in Jesus. So I, I'm, I'm processing, like, this mission trip, okay, over spring break, and, and uh, not really thinking much about Taylor Swift. It was just a good transition. But I'm thinking about, man, like, why, why do I have this deep need to really advocate for myself? Like, I, I, I in conversations, um, maybe in my career, and, and what I realized is that, more often than not, I'll, I'll confession. I apologize to my friends a lot um, because I I find moments where it's like, wow, I 
I can, there's a, a, essentially a sliver of time where there's a witty moment to just jab, and like, I just go for it. I go for the kill a lot of times with my friends, um, and Brian's in the back smiling. It's true, and I, I have to apologize. You know, we spend a lot of time studying together, but that's no excuse. Like, the reason, and I really get down to it. Like, it, it bothers me that I do that. That's why I apologize, because I know that there's something, there's something wrong about that. Like, if you, sure, you could pass it off. It's like, well, you know, we're all kind of messing around. But, like, the flip side of that is encouragement. So what's going on in my heart? And what I, what I realized is that in those moments, what I really do is I, I do that because I feel more valuable when I can get people to laugh. Uh, and so what I'm really saying with my actions is, wow, I, I've got this deep need to feel valuable. And there's something wrong inside me because I just don't feel valuable. So it reflects itself maybe in these little one-jab comments uh, hey, if I, if I can criticize just a little bit, make him look a little less, less, less valuable, maybe I'll feel a little more valuable. I'm just like Onesimus. Onesimus has been in this situation, right, where he, he has things going for him but decides, well, maybe if I can promote myself, maybe if I can attain a new status, then things will be better. The problem is, at least in my life, uh, as, many, as many things as I can attain to feel more valuable, it's never enough. You can make a laugh here, or you can get a new line on your resume or whatever, but there's always this climb for more, and, and it's unsatisfying. And more than that, uh, I've run away really from the deep value that God offers in my relationship with him. I mean, that's how we see the Bible start out. The Bible starts out in Genesis, Adam and Eve are in deep community with God. Like they are, they experience value based off of who he is and his value and nothing else. And everything is good, and then they decide to kind of do their own thing well, we're going to kind of make ourselves feel a certain way. You know, we're going to attain a new status based on knowledge and all that stuff. It's the picture of every one of us, right? And, and really, it doesn't work out. And so there comes a point in our lives where we realize it's unsatisfying. We realize that there's nothing really that the world can offer us that will curb that deep desire within us to feel okay. And, and we realize, man, I need to return to a maker. And we turn around and walk back to the only one that can offer us value, but really we have nothing to say. Like, I have nothing to, I have no way to appeal to him. I have no way to say, look at me, I've done well, accept me. Like, I have, I have nothing. And so we're left unable to advocate for ourselves, but deeply desiring to return to the one that can really deeply satisfy our hearts. It's exactly what we see going on with Onesimus, right? Onesimus has, he experiences this change. He realizes, man, I'm on this trajectory and it's not what I need. It's not what I want. I want to turn back and be reconciled. But man, I can't go back. Like what I've done is likely punishable by death in, the Roman, in Roman law. In that moment, Paul steps in and says, mm, I'll, I'll advocate for you. Paul, of great authority, great credibility, steps in and writes this, pens this letter on behalf of Onesimus to Philemon. So here, likely, Onesimus is standing before Philemon and nothing to say. Approaches him, you know, uh, just, just read this. And this is exactly what we have in relationship with God, that we have this desire to return to him. We have nothing to offer. But Jesus, Romans 5.8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of our desire, or, or even lack of desire to return to God, Jesus pursues us, lives a perfect life, dies the death that we deserve on the cross, resurrects, and offers us, offers to be our advocate. 
so that we can experience the value that we should have been experiencing the entire time in a relationship with God. Uh, Treb hits on this verse um, a lot, but 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Theologians call that the great exchange. It's a great exchange because it's a really good deal for us. It is a great exchange. And that's exactly what Paul's doing here. If you consider me a partner, if you know any value in me, if you know anything good in me, accept him as you would accept me. If there's anything crappy in him, if he owes you anything, dump that on me. It's exactly what Jesus does for you and me. Jesus doesn't just take and uh, take the penalty of your sin and, and take all guilt and shame on the cross. He does do that. He pays for all that, but he also in, returns, in return offers you all goodness all perfect things he did while he was here, all righteousness, all miracles, all perfect prayers, every moment of obedience, he says, if you place your faith in me, if you turn from trying to find value in the world to finding value in me, you will get it dumped on you. This is the gospel. The gospel means good news. That's all that it means. The gospel is not the commandments of the Bible and all the things that we need to do or church that we do as a community. The gospel is this singular message that Jesus broke into the world and pursued us. That's it. Trip hit on that last week, or a couple weeks ago, about how at the center of the gospel is all good relating to what Jesus has done for us. Uh, and so if there's anything that we can do walking out of this place today is just be madly in love with him and thank him and praise him and worship him with our lives. Uh, not just in here as we sing, but as we go out. I mean, think about the relationship that Onesimus would have with Paul. Think about the thankfulness that Onesimus would have with Paul. Like, forever he would feel indebted and he would just want, like, Paul, what can I do for you? Like, there would be a, a deep intimacy and friendship there like never before. That's the gospel. We're, we're slaves to our own self-promotion to find this deep need to make ourselves feel more valuable and it will never be enough. And that moment when we realize that, we are able to walk back to, to the Lord, knowing confidently that Jesus covers us and that he is enough. And there's nothing left for us to do to really experience God. That's it. That's the gospel. So I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, just really the implications of this. Okay, so um, that's what we experience in our relationship with God. Okay, well, how, how does that change who I am? How's that relevant today? Well, we see that really the biblical picture of this kind of interaction with the Lord, like uh, what Paul's reflecting in his relationship with Philemon and Onesimus, like people have been experiencing throughout Scripture for years. I mean, millennia. So, so you can search through Scripture and find this going on all the time. Uh, one example that I love is in Acts 3. We talked about it. Peter and John encounter a lame beggar. Uh, probably talked about this several months ago, but they were probably ignored for years by people. Right? They would, people would just walk by them, uh, walk by this guy. Like, he's begging, begging, begging. Please offer me something, you know. And Peter and John in this moment, having experienced this reconciliation with God through Jesus, stop look at the guy and they say, Peter says, look at us. What I don't have in silver or gold, um, I do have in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And it's this awesome moment where you see these men that have experienced unbelievable value dumped on them because of a relationship with God just overflow and give a guy value who is given no value by anyone. Saying, look at us. Whereas people probably ignored him and didn't look him in the eyes at and so the natural response, what we see in Scripture, is this experience that overflows into really advocacy for other people, right? I mean, that's what Paul's doing here. Same, Paul's exact same story. 
on his way to, you know, promoting himself, meets Jesus, and here he is advocating for someone that cannot speak for themselves. And I love how, how we see this in the life of Onesimus. In verse 11, Paul says, Formerly he was useless to you, but he has now become useful both to you and to me. Uh, side note, the name Onesimus means useful. Okay, And so in some translations, there's actually parentheses, and it's kind of like Paul saying, Hey, Philemon, remember how this useful guy was like, actually, he's turned out to be useless. He ran away from me. It's kind of funny, right? Uh, he's now useful uh, is, is really what's going on there. It's kind of funny play on words. But it's really important. I think it, it makes a lot of sense in my processing of what's going on in my relationship with God and with mission trip and everything. Like, as I'm concerned with my, my value, what I need to feel okay in life, and as I try to fix that through whatever means, may be different for you, but for me, you know, conversation or career or whatever, I'm really of no value. Uh, I'm really of no use to the kingdom of God. Like, I don't have much to offer the church. I don't have much to offer my family or my relationships. Why? Because I can't get my mind off me. Like, my concern for me in general outweighs my concern for anyone else. But when we see this gospel transformation, when we see and when we have an advocate for ourselves, we no longer have to advocate for me. I am completely free from having to advocate for myself because I have Jesus. So now, guess what? I, I become very useful in the kingdom of God. I become very useful to this church. I become very useful to people that don't know Jesus yet. I become very useful to my wife. You know, it goes on and on and on. But that's what I love. He goes, look, he was useless, but now he has become useful, not just to you, to me. I wish he could stay with me and encourage me is what Paul's saying. Once we're given the value of Jesus through his advocacy on our behalf, uh, we experience freedom. And, and the concern really for me just naturally kind of fades away and, and is lesser than, man, my concern for other people, you know? Like that's just the natural thing going on here. So if you haven't experienced uh, this reconciliation or relationship with God, uh, don't walk out today without, without jumping into the freedom that is having Jesus as your advocate. Uh, there's going to be people down here praying uh, after worship, and, and if you want to pray with them or, or if you want to pray with me afterwards, like I'd love to talk to you about what this means for you and how you can step into this. Uh, also, if you have had that conversation with God, if you have entered in, if Jesus is your advocate, if you have tasted of that freedom, I've got a couple questions just to ask uh, ourselves to really hammer out, like, am I really experiencing this? Like, am I really tasting this freedom on a regular basis? Um, and so here, here are a couple questions that I ask myself um, that maybe you can ask yourself. Uh, first question is this. Do you, do you tend to criticize or advocate, advocate for people in conversation? Just on a small scale, here and there in conversations, like if a third party was just observed your day, uh, they're looking at, man, they're really good at just finding that one thing that's really throwing that person's day off. Like, they're, they are, they are really good at finding the, the small things that really people are struggling. Or do they look at you and say, man, they can't help but just encourage people throughout the day. What, what would someone say about, about your day, um, who you are, the conversations that you have? They just might, might be an indicator about whether or not uh, you're experiencing this in your life. Uh, second question is this. If someone looked at your life uh, on a large scale, you know, maybe what – who you've been for the last decade, who, who you want to be for the next 10, 20 years, your goals, your dreams, your finances, like what you're involved with in, in the community, you're not involved with, like your, your big picture of your life. Would they, would they see, wow, like that person is 
I mean, they're promoting themselves, and they are on their way to success. Like, they are killing it, and I just, they're bleeding something, and I, they're going to be there someday. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but, like, does someone say that, or, or would someone say, wow, like, the more I see that person and their, their goals and their desires and everything about them, it just seems like they've experienced something that gives them freedom to be on the mad pursuit of other people. They're constantly just putting down their comfort for the comfort of others. They're constantly making themselves lesser so that people can be more. Um, what would so- someone say is true of you? That's what I really have been wrestling with uh, post this mission trip. I've been thinking, man, what's my life going to be marked on? Right? I mean, I've tasted of this relationship with Jesus. What trajectory am I on? Um, am I experiencing this freedom in a way that gives me just the opportunity to madly pursue people for the rest of my life? Treb talks about us being a church that's missional. We have this desire, uh, this, kind of, this is the last thing, but we have this desire to be, have a mission budget of 50%. So meaning at some day we want to get to a point where every dollar that we keep as a church, we send a dollar back out for mission. You're local, global, whatever, but we're on our way. It's like dollar we keep, dollar out. We also, we have a great mission team. We've got stuff planned. We're doing Nova Bible Club. We've got all these programs going on really because we want to be a missionally based church. We don't want to become about ourselves. The problem is, we are the church as individuals. Together, we all join together. And if we weren't here today, this would just be an empty building. It wouldn't be a church. If we really want to be a missional church, we have to be tasting of this every single day and in, in response to having Jesus as an advocate, advocating for other people just in our lives. Like, that's what's going to make us a missional church. That's what's going to make us a church that advocates for the people that cannot speak up for themselves. Not more programs. You know, not more clubs. Not more things. And so as... If you consider yourself a, a covenant member of this church, like this is this is us, right? It's not only uh, beneficial for our relationship with Jesus, but but it's who we are to our core. Um, the last thing I, I I like how Paul comments on this in verse six. He says, "Look, Philemon, as you walk in obedience, I mean, this had to have been very difficult for Philemon, right? I mean, probably experienced some shame and and whatever financial loss or, or however that may look, but like." Paul says, Philemon, as you kind of walk through the difficulty of accepting Onesimus back, you're going to experience more of what Jesus has for you. Like, it's going to be hard, and you're going to, like, it's going to, you have to endure a little bit of just, you know, the difficulty of that. You're going to experience more of Jesus. And that's the same thing for us. As we decide to be obedient, it is a daily choice to be obedient, to believe that we have value in Jesus and therefore can advocate for the people, we will experience more intimacy we will experience a deeper understanding of what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray.